What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 24. We're joined today by the president and co-founder of Ritual, a full-service consumption lounge operations and business development firm, Sarah Stewart. With early experience in two of America's first consumption lounges and a solid hospitality background, Sarah is leading her team to create and deliver exceptional consumption lounge services across the space. Find out more at ritualteam.com and enjoy the show. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hey, yes, I, I'm excited to have you on. I know that the consumption lounges are kind of a new thing in a in a new industry. They're kind of on the cutting edge, so it's going to be a good conversation for sure. I'm excited. I saw that uh, you have, or with your experience in consumption lounges already in 2023, I think that's something pretty rare uh, to be said for the space as consumption lounges are few and far between. Um, which states did you have those experiences in? Um, I built a consumption lounge in California. Um, not the first in the state by any means. They've been around for a while in California. But I did build the first one in the state of Illinois, uh, which happens to be the first one, I believe, currently um, the only licensed one east of the Mississippi. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's definitely quite a claim. Uh, I think the <laughs> idea of consumption lounges have always been there as we've seen the industry take shape and um, kind of start to, to f- get legs. But we've yet to see them really in mass. Uh, how Can we go back a little bit and look at how you got to your first consumption lounge or what sort of led you down that path to open the Illinois' first consumption lounge? Yeah, so... I've actually been in hospitality for about 15 years. Um, I'm 33, so most of my adult life I've been serving tables, working in hospitality. Um, Cannabis is a major factor in hospitality. Most (laughs) everyone consumes it to some degree, whether you're a server, you're back of house, you know, you're in the kitchen. Um, And so cannabis was always like a huge part of my life, of the culture that I was in. And um, I was at Tao. I was at a lot of high-end nightclubs in L.A., uh, working hospitality, guest list, front door operations, and honestly just sort of stopped drinking. Kind of got old after a while. Uh, Still continued my cannabis use pretty heavy and was actually poached from Lowell uh, Cafe, which opened the first cannabis, I guess, restaurant, you could call it, in the country. Um, And they were really looking for operators, passionate hospitality operators, who are also very passionate about cannabis. So I was fortunate enough to uh, kind of join this group of, I guess, three of us that came from Tao. Actually, I think it was four of us that came from Tao to open the first cannabis restaurant in the country. Um, So it was a huge undertaking. And, you know, first to market is first to mistake. But it really showed us what the future of this is going to look like. A lot of learning, Um, huh? Yeah, totally. And, you know, uh, I'm really fortunate, I guess, that I was 
in the mix to see a lot of these mistakes firsthand because that's really what led me to, you know, opening more lounges, working with more clients and making sure they don't make the same mistakes uh, that we saw in California. Definitely valuable lessons. Yes. How did, how did the restaurant uh, bring in cannabis to the dishes? Were they infused or was there consumption alongside the dishes or both? I yep, guess. Um, was, how did that work in? It was more alongside, I would say. Um, you know, when you infuse food with weed, we all know this. Um the onset and offset time can change drastically. Uh, sometimes, you know, you can take an edible and you might not feel it for a couple of hours or once you've gotten in your car to leave a restaurant. <laughs> 20 minutes to two hours later, right? Exactly. So, um, you know, there we did have, I think, edibles up to 10 milligrams. I did see it cause problems. You know, we did we did have like eight to 10 pass outs a week the first couple of months we were open. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that's a, definitely a new problem for a new type of business, right? Absolutely. And <laughs> it was, you know, the heat mixed with multiple consumption methods, mixed with direct sun, maybe uh, not drinking yes. as much water, you know, if you forgot to take your daily medication or, you know, there's so many factors that could Other cause variables outside just the cannabis, of course. Exactly. So- <laughs> We wanted to make sure that the food was not infused, um, especially on these new projects that we're doing moving forward. Um, but even at Lowell Cafe, there wasn't really many food options that were infused. In many states, to, in order to do that, you do have to have like, you know, a lab tester on site. Uh, so it can get quite difficult. Um, okay. Instead, we see more of a benefit maybe just having cannabis alongside food and beverage. And then instead of doing edibles, you know, we're kind of moving towards the fast acting mocktails, cannabis beverages. Excellent. Nice. And with the beverage, then you have that full range of creativity for the restaurant or for the lounge to kind of express that drink or add some character Totally. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the cute frilly drinks, drinks for the girls, you know, things that make you feel like a normalized establishment where you're maybe consuming cocktails with your friends and then you're like, oh, wait, I forgot. This is cannabis, not, you know, liquor. Yeah. Yes. Would you see or would you say then that the consumption lounge model is leaning towards a beverage one at this point just because of the delivery methods or in the kind of lack of smoke or equipment that that's required to deliver that to? I would say it's kind of mixed because I personally, you know, like, um, actually, I want to ask you this question first, Rob, what's your consumption um, style method tolerance? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I prefer the Puffco these days. I've okay. um, been living the concentrate life the last few years here in Vegas. I've kind of a medium to high tolerance, I'd say. Okay. So for somebody like you coming into a lounge, probably the first couple options that you're going to choose from, I'm assuming would be concentrates and flour. Um, you're not going to see a beverage and be like, that's what I want to consume here today. You want to be like, look at me smoking in public. You know, this is what I do at home. This is what I want to do. A little more tolerance related, huh? Totally. And we're kind of finding that the two milligram drinks, I know for the daily consumer, that's like, what in the world? That's not going to do anything for me, but we're not totally targeting that consumer with the beverages in right. this space. We wanted it to be, you know, low dose and fast acting. So you have to order three of them maybe instead of just getting, you know, 10 milligrams hit you at one time. Going to sleep in a corner booth. Totally. For some people, <laughs> that could be really problematic. So for sure. Yes. You know, staying low dose on the beverages is really like where I see it fitting. 
into the space best. Also, it's important to note that in the cannabis space, beverages are very challenging to to generate a profit because low dose beverages, you know, with canning and bottling costs, it's very very expensive. So we're hoping that there's going to be more, you know, cannabis compliant kegs and more options to have the low dose beverages in the lounge setting because they will do much better in that world than they do on the shelves of retail where most people want 100 milligrams when they're buying it to go home. Right. They're not necessarily buying 30 packs of the right. of a beverage at this point, um, which is kind of more the two milligram weight would probably be sold in that volume, I guess, if you would yep. picture it. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, I think, as a tolerance um, a tolerance thing and and really a way to serve the uh, serve the substance or serve cannabis products um, in a very approachable manner you know for someone to be able to have that drink and know that it's just a micro dose or a very right. small amount it's not gonna, <laughs> yes yeah it's not gonna um, drive them up the wall or silence them for the rest of the evening and make them reconsider their situation. <laughs> totally. And we noticed in lounges too that cannabis makes you very much more introspective versus, you know, um, outwardly, you know, drunk when you're like loud and you're talking more and you're, you know, kind of everywhere. Cannabis kind of brings you inward more. We've seen people be like a little too high to ask for ketchup or to, you know, speak up <laughs> to a server sometimes. So we want to just try yeah. to make everything so you know, mildly approachable to everyone that they kind of can like ease into this experience a little bit more than just, you know, oh my God, I went to this weed lounge. I got way too high and I'm never going back. Right. I, I ordered the wrong thing and I could hardly right. pay my bill. And yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I think that, that, that experience sounds more, I think maybe more social in like a public way than like heavier consumption or, you know, smoking a blunt with, with a circle of folks. Um, I, at the same time though, do you think that lounges would choose like kind of one side of that, one side of that experience versus the other, or have you seen options to kind of include both in and have like that concentrate and, um, flower experience alongside the beverages too? Yeah. West Hollywood tried, um, and when they rolled out their lounges, they kind of rolled out a series of different lounges. Some of them were edibles only. Oh. Some of them were flower only. And the ones who were awarded edibles only licenses basically went back to the city and said, hey, guys, this is not fair. No one's going to want to come to our locations. <laughs> we need to be able to have smoking on site, too. You know, like what's a cannabis lounge without flower? Uh, um, yes. Yes. Especially when they don't have dispensaries attached, you know, you're not just cranking out a register all day in some of these locations. They're required. They're they're they're, you know, um, they need that on-site sales in order to generate revenue. That's that's their only revenue driver. Um, I think so, I saw the laws in Michigan were really hard right now on consumption lounges where they cannot be connected to a retail shop yes, I think, isn't in that any crazy? way. <laughs> it is kind of wild how they're doing that. So yes, Michigan is another one. And even in New Jersey, their regs came out that said you cannot serve food on site. So it's like each state is doing something just a wow. little weird yes. that's totally throwing off the whole entire future of the lounge industry. So um, that's mm. really why we've been so focused on Nevada is they've rolled them out correctly. And, you know, kind of to go back to your original question, you know, what is an experience if you're just going into a lounge and eating an edible? It doesn't really feel like I could do that in my favorite restaurant today. 
you know, right. so, have your have your gummy or your brownie. Right, right. So the edibles only lounges aren't really that viable of a business model unless you did want to separate it into like smoking and non-smoking areas like we've seen in the past. I see. Yeah, or unless the food is like top notch, right? If the right. food is really driving folks or it's some kind of high level restaurant, perhaps that was a good a good combination, but even at that point you can only go so many times or order so many dishes uh, before it's it's not reasonable. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of license holders, West, I mean, not West Hollywood, I'm sorry, Vegas. Um, I'm sure, you know, you're there. I'm sure you're a little familiar with the fact that they awarded 40 lounges. Most of those are independent, meaning they're not going to have a retail dispensary attached to them. And that is really hard for profitability when you're not allowed to take products home from a lounge. So like, let's say you and I went into a lounge in Vegas, we bought an eighth, you know, I'm pretty confident you and I could smoke an eighth in a lounge. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could finish it in a few We rounds. totally could. <laughs> but let's say that we couldn't. In that case, uh, unfortunately, it would have to be thrown away. Oh, interesting. Yes, and it, and it couldn't have been brought there either. It has to be purchased yeah. there from the lounge, consumed, yes. and left. Wow. Yeah, so when you're thinking about a dispensary who, like, cranks every two minutes, you know, what your lounge or what your dispensary does in two minutes, now it takes your lounge two hours to do that same price. And not to mention, you know, it's kind of promoting overconsumption or the opposite, it's promoting you to not purchase many products because, you know, you don't want anything to go to waste. Right. And and encouraging underspending is exactly. really not a good business practice. It's not. And so a lot <laughs> of those license holders, you know, out of the 40, I do see a lot of them that are probably going to take more of like an Amsterdam style approach um, small coffee shop just because profitability in those spaces are, is going to be difficult. What's the status of those licenses that were awarded? Are they still in motion? I think the only lounge I knew about was that maybe Nuwu was open yep. for a while and then it closed for a renovation that I don't know if it's been completed yet. I did hear that they reopened. I think that they're still in the process of going through some kinks and things to be totally ready to reopen bigger and better. But um, for the licensed venues, because Nuwu, just for anyone who doesn't know, is on uh, tribal Indian uh, ground. So they actually can get away with doing things that other people can't. That's why they're first to the chase there, huh? Exactly. <laughs> yep. But the other 40, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they had to go through. They've got, you know, different license types. They have to submit their plans to the city for approval. They've got to do the background checks. You know, it takes a long time. I always tell people like West Hollywood awarded their license in 2018. They awarded 16 and they're in 2023. There's only two that are open. Wow. The, the drop-off was pretty intense there as the businesses face reality, huh? Exactly. And post-COVID, you know, rent is through the roof for any kind of cannabis establishment. Now you need a kitchen. You know, a lot of people come to me and they say like, hey, I just bought this, you know, flat, you know, retail space and it's got 2,000 square feet in the back. I'm going to turn it into a lounge. And I often laugh and I'm like, well, how many times have you heard of like a liquor store owner buying a liquor store to put, you know, a bar behind that. That's not really <laughs> right. what you do. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's the exact same thing in this scenario. You need grease traps. You need, you know, water lines. You need a kitchen. You need um, to be able to produce food and beverage. 
Um, and so a lot of the times when they're when these laws are being passed and when license holders are acquiring the properties, they're not thinking this through. Kind of seeing the full picture. They're more focused on, okay, this is how we're going to deliver the, the cannabis products or this is how right. our clientele are going to think of our brand, but maybe missing some of the essentials. Right. And you can't really blame mm-hmm. them because they come from retail. That's their bread and butter. That's what they know. That's what right. they're good at. But hospitality is just like a totally different beast. Okay, that, so that brings the compl- a little bit of the complexity there. And that's where cannabis lounges are uh, divergent, really, from a restaurant, right? And Yes. And are, do you think somewhere between like a nightclub and a restaurant? Or yeah, I like would a, say that's fair. I totally. guess with, where, what's the analog that you think would best fit? Um, you know, like we really bring live music into a lot too. So, um, most of our spaces will always have live music of some capacity, you know, jazz clubs originated and can't within cannabis and the venues. And so we want to bring that live music element back. So I would say like, yeah, like a nice, you know, hybrid between a restaurant lounge nightclub model. Okay. Right. And that way the, like the, any consumer, any patron there can, kind of have that experience still kind of semi-privately, you know, at their table or booth or area, or would you see these as like open kind of social consumption, like with a concert venue, you know, and a few hundred people in the room? It's funny because a lot of times when people are coming to me and they're like, hey, we have a license, we want to build this out. Um, And they always have this idea of private spaces. Um, And then, or memberships, you know, memberships is something that we see a lot in this space. But, you know, coming from hospitality, I know Soho House, I know these private membership lounges, and they're never really that busy. They never really are doing that Mm. well. It's more prestigious from the outside rather than interesting on the inside. Yeah. So like (laughs) as much as they think that model works for profitability, it just, quite frankly, it just doesn't. Um, and then also, you know, people like think that they want all these, these rooms and privacy. And then once you build the lounge space out, you realize that those private areas never really are booked out and everyone wants to be communal out in the open. You know, like I said, look at me, I'm smoking a joint in public, but also like, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. this is a community now. Yeah. So, that really leans into the community aspect of cannabis, I think, and leaves it feeling more like a maybe the way that a bar or a nightclub would feel and that you can you know walk around work the room and you know have a drink and and be on your way or spend the entire night there right and close it down it's funny at lowell in west hollywood you know we saw people sharing appetizers with tables next to them and you know (laughs) talking about their nugs with another group um it was wild to see how you know much of a community really came out in that space yeah, yeah, I do think it would be nice to, uh, you know, roll up a, a joint or two, you know, after dinner, enjoy that with coffee and, and hang out with folks uh, without having to leave the business or, you know, change yeah. locations and things like that. Right. That's kind of like the stoner dream that I'm really, you know, adamant on creating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Was it the hospitality industry that uh, introduced you to cannabis or were you already familiar uh, even before hospitality? That is a really good question. I think because I was like 15 when I really started working in restaurants. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of came it, with it. it. It had to have really like influenced my consumption. It was also like my high school boyfriend, 
and the friend group I was in, but you know, um, I never slowed down and I was always definitely <laughs> encouraged by my coworkers. So I think it sort of did go hand in hand. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to see the paths folks take to the industry. Uh, I think I started around the same age, really like 15 or so and kind of, um, around with folks at work. Eventually I was in, uh, the, hospitality industry and in restaurants Ooh. for a little while before what did you do in restaurants uh i was working for a pizza place and uh, doing a ton of dishes and delivery back in the day before gps so i would end up driving <laughs> around the town that i thought i knew after living there for 15 to 16 years oh my with like MapQuest. yeah just getting lost <laughs> as hell <laughs> and then the to make matters better and worse I would show up places and people would say, like, hey, you know, the pizza guy's here. Have a shot or have have oh this. So there was a few nights I had to get a, kind of an emergency ride home. Wow. So that's really <laughs> a thing like with delivery drivers and stuff. That actually happens. I think it does. Yeah. At least in wow. my experience, it did. <laughs> that's great. And then I have a, uh, actually some family in hotels and in um, that side of the hospitality industry. Do you think consumption lounges could play into more overnight spaces or are the lounges themselves really like the public venue, like a bar and maybe not really working in um, accommodations or like lodgings and things like that yet? I cannot wait until that happens first off. But I guess the second piece of that is like, you know, it costs about $3 million to build a Taco Bell in a city, you know, in a, in a busy area so to try okay, to, you right. know, we're, we're talking about six to 10 to build a cannabis lounge with food and beverage alongside cannabis sales compliantly with HVAC. You know, sometimes that alone is 500K. Um, uh, yeah. So until we can partner with Marriott, um, exactly. that's, that's a dream. <laughs> yeah, it's a hefty price tag. Like I would love for one of these license holders in, in Nevada to say like, you know what, we're going to use our license and we're going to put it at the top of this boutique hotel. But unfortunately, you know, casinos, gaming, alcohol industry is sort of pushing back against cannabis. And so there are regs like you can't be within, I think like it's like 1500 feet of a casino. Um, so I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. it definitely prohibits where lounges are going to be located, for sure. Yeah, and that definitely explains kind of the layout of the industry, too, around the Strip right now. Like, there are businesses there, but um, kind of off off the main path. Yeah, it seems like Fremont is going to be a really big area for consumption spaces. Um, I can see them fitting in very well down there, like, on the more on the east side after the lights and things, where it gets kind of... Um, a little more local vibe, kind of holding the wall bars and things. Yep, totally. And, you know, it, that's really what the biggest challenge in Vegas at the moment is, like, where are people going to be located? You know, I know some rent on the Strip that's, like, outrageous. Like, it does qualify. It's grandfathered, but it's still so expensive. It's so, just not financially worth it to set up shop there. Exactly. So, um, you know, every single day we're really, like, we listen to so many deals. We listen to so many... Uh, concepts, what people are doing. And we're really just trying to put forth the biggest, best proof of concept so that it kind of, you know, shows people how lounges are profitable and, and it and excites investors to come more into this space. Yes. And it really adds a whole different way to look at the cannabis business. I mean, the last 
few years, uh, five to ten years, it's been really it's it's cultivation, manufacturing, retail, and there's yeah. kind of there's it's kind not. of a distribution arm in the middle there too. But yep. saying consumption lounges now at the end is like a whole new tranche, right? It adds a a lot of potential there and kind of moves the needle for the industry. And it's like a forgotten part of the industry, you know, like we, we have thought about how to cultivate it and how to grow it, how to sell it, but we've like forgotten as an industry, how, how and where to consume it. (laughs) Yes. It's more like just don't consume it anywhere where anyone can see, Right. keep, keep buying it. Right. Right. Exactly. So, you know, the normalization piece is really big for us and just placing these alongside bars and restaurants that look like a, you know, a normalized establishment. We just happen to sell cannabis instead of alcohol. Yes. That's kind of the ticket there to, um, almost trick folks, right? They can't tell from the outside. They walk in anyways, cause they just, they see a good time or see folks inside. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so which state has the newest consumption lounge laws? Are Vegas's still kind of new on the, on the maps for the U.S. or are other states rolling them in or starting to consider them? Sometimes regulations take forever to be amended once they get public comments and, you know, the back and forth between the public and the businesses and the lobby, like so many things to, that need to take place. So in terms of like actually rolling out true regulations for lounges, Nevada is still the um, the most recent to do so from a state level. We've not really seen any lounges uh, create reg- or any states create lounge regulations from their side. It usually is a like a city ordinance type thing like Illinois. There are no regulations at a state level for what a consumption lounge can be. Hmm. It's really up to each local uh, city, township, you know, government to decide what they're going to allow. Um, I uh, think, okay. Leave it up to the folks around. Right. It does get more difficult there. Cause then you have, you know, a lot of health departments that you're working with. There's a lot of back and forth. The state says one thing, the city says another. So we like the idea of state driven regs, um, because it kind of just allows you to opt in or opt out. And this is the rules and this is how it's going to work. It simplifies at least one aspect of the industry uh, that can already be so different across states. And then if it's different across cities and counties, it just uh, exactly. escalates the problem. I know that New Mexico has a state program. Um, and yeah, I think that yeah. their retail their retail licenses can opt to add in a consumption area. But I don't know what the all the requirements are around that. That sounds like maybe a, a good model. Yes. Allowing existing retailers to just open a lounge, you know, pair their license and their business know-how their profit from cannabis and kind of roll that actually into a lounge to be successful. Exactly. And and I think that I agree with you. I think the only time that they have limited people from doing that is when they're kind of um, forced to stay within their same location. You know, you're already oh, right. a dispensary. Okay, you can have a lounge, but this is your proposed, you know, location. People don't have the square footage to build a lounge um, out from where they are currently located. So that's like the only, you know, thing that really changes on, on, on levels, uh, that way. But, um, you know, like I said earlier, New York and New Jersey are like racing right now to build these lounge regs out. And they've got a lot of public comments coming in. They've got a lot of pushback from people. Uh, I'm glad that they're listening to the public comments because Nevada listened to a lot of what we had to say 
just based on um, edibles and limits and certain things. And, you know, I would say the only thing I don't like about the Nevada regs truly are, um, you know, that you can't take products home. But I can't say right. that I don't understand because when we do go to bars and things, you can't take, you know, the rest of your product <laughs> there. Yeah. You're not walking out with a half-finished old-fashioned or right. the so rest of your margarita. Yeah. That's the that, that's like the model I think that they were looking at to take to to make people understand what this is going to be. Right. And then kind of um, enforcing that you only consume what you've purchased is sort of a necessary evil as well, I think, just for the business model to make it to make it make sense from a, a regulation standpoint. From that area, though, you know, it raises a lot of concerns for me because there aren't quite enough products in the marketplace for us to only have single serving products. Like there aren't a mm. lot of companies making um, single serving dabs. I don't think I really know any. Um, or there hey, are. Hey, shout out to Wax Snacks. Yay, okay, um, yes. Brian Busey. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pushing a single serving dab solution that I don't know if I've seen elsewhere. So those guys are onto something maybe for the, the yeah. consumption lounge space. I told them though that the packs that they have are, are, not, are too big. They're too big for the Nevada regs because, you know. Oh, uh, we so actually that. need less quantity. Exactly. Per, like yes. a very small row of them. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And so that's the, that's a huge challenge, you know. We're trying to talk to manufacturers, like, who's doing a, a flight of uh, grams? Yeah, like you bought four grams of concentrate. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say no if someone tells me I have to do it before I stand. But I won't. I wouldn't suggest it to other people or enforce it as a as a thing, right? That's way right. too much. Right, <laughs> and you know, our our lounges have over a hundred seats in them, so we can't assume that everybody's going to have our tolerance, and right. we want to still be able to provide them with that experience. Um, you know, even flower flights, like you know, a gram of three different strains where people are doing more of a tasting at the table. Because when we go into concentrates as well, there is like this big over underlying question, I guess, that everyone's wondering, which is what is a single serving dab? Like how much? Because yeah. like, I'm sure you're going to say <laughs> a gram. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it varies heavily, right? I've, yeah. and I, I've oh, been yeah. playing around with uh, like moderation with cannabis and trying to cut down use at times. And when I'm abstaining for most of the day versus when I'm smoking all day, at times a a tiny dab, like a sliver of of resin or of sugar, will like blow me away. Versus I think you know a huge a huge scoop out of a gram jar totally. when I'm more on when I'm more on the reg, the regimen. So I think it's like uh, the the degree of difference is crazy it's not necessarily like a lightweight with alcohol versus someone who can handle their booze it's sort of uh even beyond that and that's where you know the microdosing levels and then the community space is probably a good way for folks curious to just try it without that pressure uh, or without the fear maybe of being in their house and like you know not understanding what's going on we had a lot of people you know even coming to um into you know the lounges that i built that want to try dabs for the first time as well but you know with this new single serving model it's like do you go to alcoholics and say hey what is this single serving and they're gonna say oh you know <laughs> yeah three shots of <laughs> yeah something crazy um but then alternatively you don't go to someone who doesn't consume alcohol at all and ask them and so 
it's like who's going to be the person to decide what this single serving is? Is it 0 0.03? Is it 0 0.5? Yeah. And then how do we get the rest of the general public, the non-consumers who are curious and things to to be approachable, you know, to to want to come into these new product offerings instead yeah. of like it's very know. much like hot sauce you think like the ordering like ordering spice because if you go to a restaurant and they're like do you like oh do you like spicy you have to just kind of say like i really do spice it up or right. be like no way you know because different palates would react very strongly to getting a hot dish versus not totally you know a, a bland one and we don't really have a scale for that either it's more kind of coming down to the consumer, you know, and really yeah, being like, What's your yeah, you know, do you like spicy? How many peppers do you like on the menu? And right. that might be the way that the, the, the cannabis loungers can at least try to tier those products um, in a way that the consumer understands. Totally. And we just have to rely heavily on, on manufacturers for this and hope that they're, you know, um, going to kind of shy away from all cannabis products being take-home use and really think right. about what single servings look like. Right. Either single servings or ways to like bulk sell that to consumption lounge businesses so that they could then serve Create. it out singly. Yep. And I Maybe think that there are ways jars. of like doing that. But, you know, when we're metric tagging everything on site too, when we've got 215 people on site, it can get a little crazy. Oh, metric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The bane of many folks' existence I know. and the red tape of the industry. And metric tagging that many individual package splits is going to be heavy on any software or any anybody's time um, to manage that inventory. And that's something that we're like thinking about a lot right now, working on you know, some partnerships and really trying to bring something to the market because all these lounges are going to open and then they're not going to have the right software to operate. Right. Right. That's definitely a concern there and um, uh, a passion of mine and really my day job in the cannabis industry since I stopped growing many years ago has been making cannabis software. So we're going to have to talk shop about that after the Let's episode. Maybe. <laughs> we should. Because uh, there's some, a lot of fun there. I think that could be done. And um, yeah, the consumption lounge just represents such an interesting arm of the market. I mean, it's not that cannabis is old and it's, you know, it changes every day and new states keep adding the market on. But I think the newest elements of cannabis are really in the lounge space. I agree. I how did Ritual really form then with your interest and background? Um, as co-founder, did you uh, kind of, did a team form naturally and then you formalized it? Or did you decide that you wanted to take your skills now and kind of turn them outward as a team? Yeah, I actually had a business right before Ritual, which was called Hospitality. Um, and, you know, with that, I was doing some consulting work um, through West Hollywood. And then when I had joined Green Thumb full time to help build out their lounge, um, coming, you know, back out of that, I had split ways with my business partner and I was really craving um, a partner that like understood you know, my background, hospitality, and how these worlds are going to kind of collide. Um, I felt like I was sort of on a lone island all the time speaking hospitality, and I had these amazing partners that knew retail and dispensaries, but they couldn't really connect on the hospitality piece. Um, so after leaving Green Thumb, I met this uh, guy named Malcolm. He is my current business partner now. He comes from Michelin Star Restaurants, and 
had kind of been doing his own lounge work on the side a little bit, spent some time digging okay. deep in, um, was very passionate about working in the lounge world, but really saw more of a benefit of us joining forces. Um, you know, he kind of won me over by sending me to this amazing dinner reservation. He wasn't even there. He just did it from a distance uh, in Chicago. <laughs> that really showed me his hospitality background his network, you know, uh, what he was about. And it really impressed me. And so, you know, ever since we've been building a team, we have a compliance guy, Andrew, on our team as well. So right now it's really just the three of us. Um, I kind of am leading the way in the efforts, the normalization, um, and kind of like bringing in new clients, whereas Malcolm is a solid, hardcore operator. And then Andrew kind of keeps us on our toes with all of our compliance and regs and kind of tells us what we can and cannot do. <laughs> <laughs> He's setting the, the guidelines, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot of experience built up on the team. And I, I saw a little bit of Malcolm's background there too, seeing kind of uh, the restaurants and the businesses he's been a part of, you know, seeing the Michelin stars there and things like that. That's that's definitely a, uh, a valuable experience and being able to turn that attention towards the space is is excellent, you know, thinking Absolutely. about what that could become in, in the next few years. And, you know, we're not going to go like the most high end. We're not going to build a Michelin star. I mean, not yet, at least. We're not going to build a <laughs> Never Michelin say never, right? <laughs> right. Restaurant. But the, um, the determination and the grit and the hard work that goes into working for Michelin star restaurants, the training programs that they create, the way that they operate, the, the hospitality, that's really where, you know, his value add is significant and I feel, you know, super confident in the two of us kind of spearheading this effort together. Yeah. I see a lot of connection to like the high end restaurants to consumption lounges, even consumption lounges of varying um, like complexity or varying value just because of how much the high end restaurants maybe care about their individual patrons how much they ask you your preferences and try to give you the experience that you want whether that's sitting on the you know on the patio or by the windows I mean even like simple questions like that are I think the the right way to approach cannabis consumers and something perhaps missing from retail environment is that return customer feeling that the business knows who I am because they really don't and (laughs) there's a lot of dispensaries in Vegas that are wonderful some maybe that are not but they don't they don't realize when I'm there or how often I'm there and those kinds of things that I think a high-end restaurant or even hospitality in general starts to recognize and value that kind of uh, repeat business and loyalty points try to emulate that but having the points maybe isn't the same as like the the actual knows you by name, maybe, or they remember what you ordered last week. Even know? if they're reading it from a cue card, it's sure. it's a, it's a little touch there that adds some personalization. Maybe could lead to an upsell or those kinds of things. Absolutely, and to kind of add to that too is you know obviously I'm a woman in this space. I don't feel like there's a lot of representation for women in the lounge world. It's sort of like turned into like you know like a broy spot. Like a smoke sesh. Yeah, for dudes. Uh, for lack like, of better words, yeah. Yeah, especially up north in like uh, San Fran and things. Like all of those lounges are very masculine. They're, they're totally built for men. And I'm really trying to challenge that idea where I think, you know, it, you build it for women and really the rest of, you know, the boyfriends come, the guys come, everyone comes at that point. 
<laughs> yeah, can't I can't argue with that. I think if my wife's comfortable there, I'll I'll go and have have, have a meal and <laughs> right. yep. and we will have concentrates and we will have everything that you want to consume there. But aesthetically, you know, we want the women to love it and want to be there and be our best biggest customers. Because I know there's a lot of girls out there like me who, you know, really are craving that space. And I don't think it needs to be too feminine either. I just think it needs to be approachable to women. And that's yes. what I don't feel. Just kind of a middle ground, not necessarily going all the way to the other. Maybe, yeah. But maybe there's a value for that too, right? A very uh, female-oriented business to um, put that spin on the community. But maybe a, once we establish this all-comer kind of general approach. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, um, anything... Uh, next on the plate for the ritual team any conferences or uh, projects around the corner we got some crazy stuff coming up you know <clears throat> aside from consulting on a couple really fun big projects in vegas we're going to be raising for our own lounge we're going to hopefully be partnering with a license holder and have our own establishment as well so you know awesome in the works, we are actively in the fundraising stages right now. It's not fun, but, you know, we're we're motivated and passionate. And, um, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I do think that we are poised to really do this right and show people what the next phase of the cannabis industry is going to look like. And then I can't wait to hire all these people who have, you know, hospitality backgrounds and they're just working in cannabis and other roles right now. And they're just going to thrive in this new setting. That's a really good point. The number of cannabis employees and folks making the industry work uh, that have come from hospitality is pretty high there and, and turning them back to what they're excellent at rather than being a bud tender or moving inventory around is, yeah, it's going to it's going to make some folks dream jobs. <laughs> I can't wait. And it's easier, honestly, to hire from uh, hospitality than it is to hire from retail. Like, you know, I'm sure, you know, you can't really teach steps of service or uh, to have like, you know, a there's a certain charisma or a certain <laughs> kind of um, uh, approach, right? That you want your, your employees to have in hospitality that maybe isn't needed elsewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. And in, you know, in many retail stores, you're required to stand around, wait for someone to come into your zone or your section to, to communicate with them. Whereas in hospitality, you're never allowed to sit or stand or not <laughs> moving. So, you know, it's going to require a, a totally different workforce than what we're seeing in dispensaries right now. I can't wait to see how it how it goes and, and really see uh, see the doors open on a ritual lounge. I'll I'll be in line there. That'd be excellent. Yes, you're gonna get invited. <laughs> you will be invited. Absolutely, friends and family. Hey, awesome, Sarah. Well, thank you for jumping <laughs> on the show today. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the Ritual Team? You can learn about Ritual um, more at ritualteam.com. We are also on LinkedIn as Ritual Cannabis Hospitality, and uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn at Miss Sarah Stu or Instagram at Miss Sarah Stu. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, and we'll make sure to talk as these consumption lounges open up across the states. Totally. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. 
We offer cannabis operations consulting, agile product management, and connoisseurship services. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.